Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of Pieces of History. I'm Colin McGrath. This week I'm joined by David Alvarez to discuss the foundation and history of the Swiss Guard. Thanks very much for um, joining me. Um, are things okay over New Mexico? Yes, it is. In at least the part of New Mexico I live in, I live in a rather isolated part of a rather isolated state. So um, <laughs> out here in the in very rural uh, America, uh, things are fine. Just before we get into the history of the the, the guards, um, can you tell me a, a, a bit about your background, David? Uh, sure. Um, I'm now retired from a long career as a professional historian, uh, university historian, and um, teaching uh, history for 40 plus years. I've spent a lot of my time uh, studying and researching the um, the modern papacy, among other topics. And um, that interest has led me to a, a particular focus on what might be might be called the national security aspects of the modern papacy, something that people usually don't associate with the modern papacy, but its military history, its involvement in espionage and intelligence operations. That has been my particular interest um, as a professional historian. Mm-hmm. And it has it has led me to publish books on the subject of articles. Perfect. And what what was your most recent book then? Um, My most recent book on the papacy is uh, a book on the uh, military history of of the papacy. It's called um, The Pope's Soldiers, A Military History of the Modern Vatican. So I suppose we we should really get into it then. So can can you just give listeners um, a a bit of a background to the, the foundation of the guards then? Sure. The Swiss Guard marks its foundation from July, uh, January of 1506, uh, early, very early 16th century. It was founded by Pope Julius II, who contracted with Swiss authorities for a personal bodyguard. This is a, a time when uh, monarchs across Europe used and hired um, Swiss mercenaries. Uh, foreign military service was a cottage industry in Switzerland, and it was very common for Swiss young Swiss males to hire themselves out uh, individually, more frequently as groups, uh, into foreign service. And so when Julius II decided that he needed a personal bodyguard, it was... Um, very reasonable and uh, common to go to Switzerland and recruit um, um, a military unit from these uh, Swiss looking for foreign military service. And so that's what Julius did. Pope Julius uh, hired 150 uh, Swiss mercenaries as his personal bodyguard, and they uh, marched on foot from Switzerland to Rome, arriving in Rome on um, January 22nd, 1506, and the present Swiss Guard marks that date as their founding day and their birthday, so to speak. So what was the state of the papacy um, at, at this time? Was it um, fractious? Did they control a lot of territory? 
What was the real need for, for the Swiss Guard at this point? Well, uh, Pope Julius absolutely needed a reliable personal bodyguard because uh, at the time, uh, Italy was convulsed in what historians now refer to as the so-called Italian Wars, which um, extended from roughly 1490 to roughly 1560. Uh, So about 70 years of more or less constant warfare on the Italian peninsula, warfare in which the papacy was uh, deeply involved, Julius II in particular deeply involved. And this involvement required a military effort on the part of the, the papal uh, government. But in Julius's case, because he was a true warrior pope and went into the field with his armies and led them in sieges and in battles, he needed a personal bodyguard uh, to literally to protect him in battle. And so um, the um, the Swiss guard performed a very real function for Julius as Julius engaged on one side or another in the various alliances of uh, that characterized the Italian wars. And how did Julius fund this at the time, David? Was, he, was the papacy quite wealthy at this point or did he need backing from merchants or others? Yes. Well, the papacy was uh, quite wealthy, but in practice, that wealth was constantly being dissipated through all kinds of activities and endeavors. And at any given moment, the papacy could be financially destitute or broke, as we would say in the United States. And that was the case oftentimes uh, with the popes of the Italian wars. And Julius II in particular had financial difficulties because he was so active and aggressive in his involvement in the Italian wars. So he had to reach out to financial allies to secure backing, financial backing for any of his enterprises. And in particular, the papacy at this particular time in history had a very close relationship with a very important German banking family, the the, so, the Fuggers, uh, the Fugger family. And um, the Fuggers, who were devout Catholics, uh, financed many uh, papal endeavors. And in particular, they put up the money um, for Julius to hire his Swiss bodyguard and uh, to uh, move them to Rome. So the Fuggers were effect in effect, the kind of financial angels behind the creation of the Swiss Guard. Did the Fuggers, were they looking something in return or was this more of a of, of an evangelical backing of the Pope or was it was there like a, a give and take or what, what, what were they really in it for? Well, we can't be sure about that, but it's probably safe to assume it was characterized by both of the elements you just suggested. Uh, I think there certainly was a religious element uh, behind the Fuggers' um, support for Julius because the Fuggers supported, at this particular time, tended to support the 
popes in general, not just Julius, but his predecessors and his successors. So there was an effect of a religious, probably a religious connection. But at the same time, the Fuggers were a professional banking family. Uh, they weren't a charitable foundation or a charitable organization. They didn't give the money to the popes. They lent it at interest. And so there was an element of self-interest to the extent that the Fuggers considered the papacy perhaps a, a safe enough investment uh, to allow uh, extending credit to somebody like Julius II. David, if we just slightly move on a bit then, um, towards the 1530s almost, um, I, was, I was reading somewhere in one of my sources that Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor at the time, was looking to um, sack Rome. And this is when one of the last engagements of the Swiss Guard, w- would that be correct? Uh, sure, you're referring to the uh, infamous sack of Rome in uh, mm-hmm. 1527. The um, army of the Emperor Charles V, who was both King of Spain and Holy Roman Emperor at the same time, was in Italy uh, as part of these ongoing um, Italian wars. And uh, his army was made up primarily of mercenaries, some Swiss, uh, most from what we today would call Germany, and most of them Protestants. And... um, These mercenaries, for a variety of reasons, um, had not been paid in some time. And when when in the Renaissance, mercenaries were not paid, they tended to mutiny, uh, withdraw their service, or look for substitute payment in the form of pillage. And his army, searching for opportunities for pillage, moved south. They were already in Italy, and they moved south towards Rome, believing rightly so that Rome would be a very rich source of of pillage. The degree to which Charles V and his commanders actually controlled this is, is doubtful. I mean, these were uh, these were probably mercenaries who were not immediately subject to strict discipline and may have been acting um, despite the directives of their officers. But on um, May 6th, they attacked Rome. These mercenaries attacked Rome and uh, made immediately for the Vatican, where they expected to find untold wealth and gold. And this resulted in uh, the most famous event in the history of the Swiss Guard, and that is the uh, effort by the Guard to... uh, buy time for the then Pope, um, Clement, to escape. Because obviously, if he could be taken hostage, his ransom would be incredibly valuable. And so he had to escape, and he did so by uh, running, literally running, to the nearby Castel San Angelo. But in order for him to escape, the Swiss guard had to buy him time by holding off the attacking mercenaries. They did so successfully, but at the cost of um, 147 of their number dying on the steps of of St. Peter's. Um, It was uh, all all the guard who stayed behind to cover the retreat of the pope were killed. The only guards who survived were the handful who accompanied the Pope on his escape to 
Castel San Angelo. This is the formative experience for the guard and the most famous event in their history, so much so that new Swiss guards every year are sworn in on May 6th, the anniversary of the sacrifice uh, during the, the sack of Rome. And then, David, um, moving on a bit then towards the end of the Italian wars then, is that whenever the Swiss Guard, were they disbanded and had to re-emerge again after obviously all of these losses or did they go through a period of dormancy or, or what became of them then? Well, um, the, the Swiss Guard is often described as the oldest existing military unit in the world since its origins go back to 1506. Uh, in a sense, that's true, depending on how you want to count count the years. Uh, over that period of time since 1506, the, the Swiss Guard has, in fact, as you just pointed out, uh, been disbanded, um, usually unwillingly, as a result of uh, political or military defeats. Um, the, Pope, the Swiss Guard was, in fact, disbanded uh, 20 years after its foundation right after the sack of Rome and didn't did not re, reconstitute itself for another 20 years there's a gap of 20 years early in its history where it it was disbanded and did not exist um, the uh, sack of Rome was not the last time the Swiss guard uh, participated in in battle um, in 1571, at the famous Battle of Lepanto, where Christian navies uh, defeated uh, Turkish navy and turned back, uh, for the time at least, the Turkish threat to the Western Mediterranean, the papacy contributed naval and uh, infantry uh, forces to that battle. And that contribution included Swiss Guards. So in 1571, some Swiss at least, not the entire unit, but some of the unit were back in battle, this time against um, uh, Turkish uh, foes. But generally, after 1571 and the Battle of Lepanto, the Swiss kind of avoid, avoided isn't the right word, but had no further occasion really to... Um, to engage in formal military operations or in any kind of, of fighting. The result of that was a long period, centuries, of, at least for the Swiss Guard, peace. Um, the papacy, separately from the Swiss Guard, the papacy had an army. The Swiss Guard was not part of the papal army. It was always a household a palace guard. And as a palace guard for centuries, the Swiss guard experienced peace. Uh, and as a result, they became kind of demilitarized, uh, uh, mm -hmm. so much so that um, when they were called upon uh, closer to our own time to recall their, their martial experience and their martial history, they were at kind of loose ends as of what to do. I mean, um, they had become less a military unit and more um, a ceremonial unit. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to tell people when we talk about this, um, by the 19th century, the Swiss Guard was more like a troop of actors 
dressing up and performing before tourists at the Vatican than it was a military unit. Just on a, on a side note, David, whenever you say about the, obviously the Swiss guards now are, are obviously famous for tourists and taking photos and things like that. Where did their um, their famous uniform come from then? Was it in, in and around this time period? This is one question, a question about the uniform and its origins. That is the most common question that I've, I'm asked when I talk to people or audiences about, about the Swiss Guard. Um, the, Swiss Guard un, the Swiss Guard uniform is certainly the most easily recognizable military costume in the world. Uh, people who could not tell the difference between the uniform of the Norwegian army and the Mexican army will, at a glance, recognize the Swiss Guard uniform. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's very popular. It's very, it's very easily recognizable. Um, and no visit to the Vatican by a tourist is complete without a picture of a Swiss Guard in his blue, gold, and uh, red uniform. And this, because, because of its obvious uh, Renaissance appearance, it's, it harkens back, it's evocative of, of Renaissance costumes as most of us imagine Renaissance costumes. All kinds of legends have grown up about the Swiss Guard uniform, for instance, that it was designed either by Raphael or, depending upon the legend, Michelangelo, but that it certainly dates back to the Renaissance period. In fact, it dates back to the First World War. <laughs> The, the, the <laughs> uniform, the, the uniform that we see today, which is only one of several kinds of uniforms that the Swiss Guard wear, depending upon their duties and depending upon the occasion, the uniforms we see today were designed uh, about 1914. They're not very, they're they're not very old at all. They're barely more than a century old. And they were designed, uh, obviously not by Raphael or Michelangelo, but by the then commander of the guard, uh, a very famous uh, Swiss guard commander named Jules Repond. Um, and Repond designed the uniform because over the centuries, the Swiss guard had worn a variety of uniforms. The uniforms changed uh, over time along with military fashion in Europe as the uniforms were changed in the French army or the British army or the German army. So too did they change in the Swiss guard. So if you look at old paintings or in in the 19th century photos of the guard, you see them wearing all kinds of uniforms. At one point they're wearing uh, tricorn hats. Uh, 40 years later, they're wearing kind of like, German spiked helmets. Um, they've got small berets. They've got large berets. They're wearing boots. They're wearing slippers. The, the uniforms change constantly. And Repond, Commandant Repond, decided we're going to have a standard uniform or a set of uniforms. And he did a great deal of research, literally, by wandering around, looking at paintings in the Vatican, thumbing through old manuscripts in the Vatican Library to come up with ideas for what a uniform would look like, especially he was looking for a uniform that referred back to the origins of the guard. He was very historically conscious, and he thought one way of building up and maintaining morale and the spirit de corps 
in the Swiss Guard was to constantly remind the guardsmen of how long their history has been. Uh, and to do that, he was looking for historical models for a modern uniform. And um, that's what he did. He designed at least the, the uniform, the gaily colored uniform we're most uh, familiar with, uh, with a deliberate Renaissance model in mind. But it was not mm -hmm. a model designed by Raphael or by Michelangelo, who designed the modern Swiss Guard uniform, Jules Repond in 1912. So that's that's that myth busted because I've been on various websites and books and articles and they claimed that um, the Medici had a hand in it, um, all these other people mm -hmm. from the Renaissance. And so obviously it's quite clearly not true. The Medici had did not have a conscious hand in the contemporary Swiss Guard uniforms. After all, remember, the Medici died out in the 18th century. Um, but they had kind of an indirect influence on Repond when he was designing the uniforms in 1912. Uh, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, in the Renaissance, armies did not wear uniforms. This idea of an army wearing a uniform common to all of its soldiers is a development of the um, 17th century. It was not until the middle of the 17th century did armies, starting with the French army, begin to adopt common uniforms. Before that time, people wore whatever they wanted. Uh, in fact, it was hard to distinguish between soldiers and civilians except for the fact that the soldiers had weapons and were killing the civilians. The people being killed were the civilians. The people doing the killing were the soldiers. And so there was no uniform, no common. I, there was no sense of dressing everybody up in the same way, except that occasionally um, the commander of a unit or the financial patron of a unit, somebody who paid to equip a group of mercenaries, for instance, might then pay to have all their people in their unit wear the same kind of doublet or the same kind of, of uh, hat or something like that. And when Raypond was looking for ideas for his uniforms, he almost certainly um, observed a very famous painting in the Vatican, a painting actually by Raphael, uh, in the Vatican Palace, which includes a picture of a, uh, uh, the figure of uh, a papal guard. And this papal guard is wearing the colors of the Medici family, which just happened to be gold, i.e. yellow, red, and blue, the colors of Rapone's service uniform. Now, these were the colors of the Medici family. And when Raphael was painting these frescoes in the Vatican Palace, the current pope at the time was um, Leo X, who was a Medici. So very likely when Leo became pope, he dressed up his guards as well as his chamberlains and his butlers and his valets and his coachmen, he dressed them all up in his family colors. 
yellow, blue, and red. These were not the colors of the Swiss Guard because the Swiss Guard didn't have any colors. They didn't have <laughs> uniforms except what Leo chose to give them. And it's likely, although this can't be demonstrated, Ripond actually wrote up a, a book about the Swiss Guard uniforms. Um, but it's likely, it's likely that, um, uh, Repond saw that and thought, hmm, those are nice colors and it's Renaissance in origin. Let's mm -hmm. use those colors for some of our uniform. Mm -hmm. So indirectly, the Medici influenced the choice. So David, if we just go back a wee bit then, with essentially the, the Swiss Guard now are just a more of a, a ceremonial um, unit, pushing on towards the 18th, 19th centuries then, what, what was their place within the Vatican then? Were they just essentially still the guard of the papacy in a ceremonial way? Did they get involved in any conflicts whatsoever? I, I think it's safe to say that they tended to remain ceremonial in substance. They didn't have a lot of occasions to be anything other than ceremonial um, until the French Revolution. The French Revolution and then the subsequent uh, Revolutionary Wars and Napoleonic Wars uh, were not a good time for the papacy uh, because the papacy had uh, very significant differences with the revolutionary regime in Paris and then later with the Napoleonic uh, regime. And those differences were so great that twice the French invaded papal territory and occupied Rome, each time literally kidnapping the Pope and taking the Pope first Pope Pius VI, and then his successor, Pius VII, forcibly removing them to France and keeping them under house arrest. In both those instances, the Swiss Guard uh, offered no resistance to the French uh, forces entering the Vatican, but they did so at the direction of the Pope. Both In both instances, the Popes directed their guard not to resist. Then, in 1848, when there were uh, revolutions across Europe against uh, monarchies, including the papacy, um, a mob in Rome uh, attempted to storm the papal palace, and the Swiss Guard actually repulsed the mob, and shots were exchanged. The guards actually uh, fired in self-defense on the mob and scattered the mob. What's interesting about this, well, it's interesting to historians for all kinds of reasons, but in terms of your particular question, when when the Swiss Guard realized that the palace was, was going to be attacked, they were so demilitarized, that is, they had, they had grown so accustomed to a purely ceremonial role that they didn't have any firearms that worked. All, all, the, all the muskets in their armory had been so seldomly used that they had to rush around trying to put a handful of muskets into working order so that the Swiss guards at the palace gates could repulse an attack. That's how demilitarized they had, they had become. This is a, a constant tension in the history of the Swiss guard. Are we a purely a ceremonial unit or are we a protective unit whose primary responsibility is as they swear when they are 
taken into the guard? Are uh, are we primarily a protective unit sworn to sacrifice our lives to protect the Pope? Well, in practice, of course, they're both of those things. But at any given time, the the uh, weight might be in one direction versus the other. And basically between the 17th and 20th centuries, the the balance was tipped in favor of a purely ceremonial force. Mm -hmm. And the result was that any military capabilities, operational capabilities, protective capabilities the guard may have had were allowed to atrophy. It, it, it would, would in any circumstances as well, um, which is actually a very salient point whenever you're saying that they actually didn't have any weaponry to defend the Pope anyway. So, But that's a perfect way to wrap up david just before we finish off and if anyone's listening how do you go around becoming a swiss guard then yeah um the swiss guard has um a very specific application and recruitment process which is uh perhaps a, a, a more complicated process than recruitment into the militaries of others other states uh to uh, qualify to apply to be a Swiss guard. You have to be a Swiss citizen. You have to be male, ages between 19 and 30. You have to be Catholic. You have to be single, unmarried. There are basic height requirements and health requirements. Uh, and you have to demonstrate that you are of good character, which mm -hmm. is demonstrated by getting letters of support from your parish priest and from local police agencies in Switzerland. That allows you to, those are the minimum qualifications. Oh, and also you have to have completed your Swiss military service. Everybody who goes into the Swiss Guard has already been in the Swiss Army, at least for the minimal uh, service required of all Swiss uh, citizens. And this is a big deal because now the pendulum between ceremonial unit and protective unit is shifting back away from ceremony to protection. In the, in the beginning, um, in the 20th century and accelerating in the 21st century, the uh, protective functions of the guard have been increasingly emphasized. Uh, training has been uh, extended and increased, especially in areas such as firearms, personal defense, uh, firefighting, uh, executive protection uh, as personal plainclothes bodyguards to the Pope as the Pope travels around. Um, now the Guard is much more self-consciously a military unit, emphasizing military training and military qualities. And so anybody who thinks that they can go into the Swiss Guard to get a two-year paid vacation in Rome is in for a big surprise because they have to maintain a very high standard of training and, uh, and discipline. And um, that makes service in the Guard uh, some of the more recent recruits say it's tougher than the Swiss Army <laughs> that they remember. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and and so the, the guard, the modern guard, the contemporary guard now is very much now uh, a protective unit uh, that also happens to look good in tourist photographs.
<laughs> I suppose like any um, head of state, David, these days, they all have their own protective unit around them and they need to be highly trained, professional. They obviously have to have their own intelligence network as well. Um, do, do the Swiss Guard work in tandem with the Vatican Police then? Or obviously, they, they do. Yes, very closely with the Vatican uh, Police, which also has significantly increased its protective capabilities. Um, when the Pope travels, for instance, uh, he is accompanied by a detachment of papal police officers and a detachment of Swiss guards. And they operate, uh, when the Pope travels in plain clothes, you'll see them clustered around the papal vehicle, the Pope mobile as the Pope, uh, goes down uh, highways or city streets waving at people. Uh, the Swiss Guard are responsible for the right side of the Pope and the papal police are responsible for the left side of the Pope. A very weird situation that could only happen in the Vatican, right? Um, but you'll see, you know, a dozen or more plainclothes officers uh, all wearing the same kind of light blue suit jogging alongside the papal limousine or standing, walking in front of or behind the Pope, uh, alongside the Pope. The ones on the right are Swiss guards. The ones on the left are papal police. They collaborate very closely, and both of them collaborate very closely with the Italian police and security services. For instance, the um, uh, special operations unit of the Vatican police trains very closely with Italian special forces. Um, the Swiss uh, send all their Swiss guard sends all the recruits for one month of special training at the school in Switzerland for uh, Swiss police and Swiss special forces. Uh, there's active collaboration in terms of exchanging information and exchanging uh, training and expertise. So it's this is again something unusual. The, the Swiss guard is no longer an insular organization. Uh, it, it is very self-consciously reaching out, looking for collaborators and helpers in its job of protecting the Vatican and protecting the Pope. Perfect. That, that's fantastic, David. I think, um, thank you very much for the last 30 minutes of a very quick, a very quick journey through the history of the Swiss Guard. Um, I really appreciate it. Well, it was fun. Thank you. Pieces of History is written and produced by me, Colm McGrath, with additional material by Andy McGrath. If you would like to hear more episodes, you can subscribe on iTunes and Spotify, and you can also get involved in the show by leaving comments and show suggestions on Twitter and Instagram at Pieces of History. Thanks for listening.